0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning services to you each and every week. We are currently in our sermon series, Stories of Christmas. In this series, we are walking through Luke 2 and the stories of different people who played a role in the Christmas story. From Mary and Joseph to the shepherds and the magi, each of these stories will culminate in the birth of Jesus. So join us as we share the stories of Christmas.
1: Good morning. Sure, so excited to continue in this Stories of Christmas here today. You know, I can't believe we're just one week away from Christmas. I feel like the time has just flown by, but here we are where my, my kids are out of school now so we can do some of the extracurricular activities that we love to do around Christmas, whether it be decorating cookies, you know, when my four kids, they decorate cookies. They're so beautiful, icing everywhere. It's just such a beautiful um, time. And then we go look at Christmas lights until one of them starts crying, but we love Doing that, we've done that once, we'll probably do that again, and then there's the Christmas movies, you know, and when you think about, you've probably already been watching some, but you've probably watched some more this week, and when you watch, think about those movies, there's always, when I say Christmas movies, there's either an actor or actress that may be the first person that comes to your mind when it comes to Christmas, it may be Macaulay Culkin, maybe the first person you thought of, maybe, or Will Ferrell, or Jimmy Stewart, you know, Mary, Clarence, Clarence, Mary, you know, I I promised Jeff I wouldn't do impressions, but... It's, I was like, it's Christmas, Pastor. Can I please? Those may be some of the people you thought of. Well, I want to put another one into your brain that I always think of when it comes to Christmas. It may not be the first one you think of. It's voice, screen, and stage actor, James Earl Jones. And now you're, I know what you're doing. You're racking your brain. I don't remember James Earl Jones. Was he an elf? I don't think so. Um, was he one of the wet bandits no um but let's look at some of the iconic roles that james earl jones has played field of dreams if you can watch field of dreams at the end when he's thrown with his dad and you're not cried then you have a heart of stone and i can speak with you afterwards admiral greer in the tom clancy movies where the clear and present danger a hunt for red october you know one ping only captain that's another impression that's number two you can mark that as they go Through Field of Dream, I mean uh, Sandlot, sorry you said it, Sandlot right here, beautiful movie, but one of his most important roles was also Mufasa Uh, as voice actor. You could throw Darth Vader in this, but honestly, James Earl Jones, we could be here all day with all the movies he's been in, but one of the most important and world-changing roles that he ever played was as one of the wise men in the 1970s miniseries, Jesus of Nazareth. And when you look at this, I mean, more, you look at those piercing blue eyes. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't look like that. But this is an iconic picture. Like, if you've ever seen someone who has a tattoo of Jesus' face, more than likely they have a tattoo of British actor Robert Powell on their arm. So you could go to them and say, hey, you're a big fan of Robert Powell? No, don't do that. But, but I, I point this out because this is, is an iconic movie when it comes to the life of Jesus. You can get rid of Robert Powell at this point. But the reason why James Earl Jones, his role as one of the Magi is so important because when we think about the Magi, we all have an idea of who they were and what it meant, but there's a lot of mystery surrounding it. But I believe it's one of the most important roles he ever played because as we dive into the Magi today, what what I think you'll see is this, that the story of the Magi shows us the beauty of God's nature the power of scripture, and the depth of the human heart. That we'll see all three of those things unfold as we walk through the text. So let's go to it. We're in Matthew chapter two, starting in verse one. This is what the word of God says. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together his people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for it is written, this is Micah chapter 5 that they are quoting here, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out for them exact time the star appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me this so that I may too go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So when you look at this text, what I, what I want us to do is there's, there's questions that surround that what I want to ask together of, first of all, is this, who were the Magi? Who were they this word magi when we think of it, you may think of magician because that's where the the word comes from or in your translation it may say wise men well it's really a combination of that. they were learned people, so wise men is a good translation. These were people from a kingdom where they were they were the ones who studied anything they could get their hands on they were the learned representatives of a kingdom, but they were also astrologers and astronomers maybe not the way we think of today but they st- stared at and studied the stars frequently so they were astronomers magician wise men astrologers They were all these things but one thing they were not was kings and you're like what what about the song three kings i love this song Really, that comes from church history of someone writing a story and adding more information over legend about who they were and which exact kingdoms they came from as kings, and that they even had names like uh, James Earl Jones played Balthazar. We don't, that's a name you may be familiar with, that they had names, but that name just comes from uh, legend and from stories being told. The only thing we really know about them is that they came from east of Jerusalem, So they came from the east side. That's all we know is that they came from the east side. But here's what we do know is that every country that is east of Jerusalem is an enemy of Jerusalem. So wherever they came from, they came from a kingdom that's probably an enemy of Jerusalem. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Most scholars think that they either came from Babylon or Persia, or Babylon and Persia. So if you think back, these are these are key enemies of the nation of Israel. And if that's true, if they came from Babylon or from Persia, that means they came about a thousand miles, somewhere around a thousand miles to where Jesus was. Now that's a long way. That's a long way. A good example of that was, I put it in MapQuest to see an equivalent. So Picture going from Nashville to New York. And now think about this. It's about the same distance. Picture walking, because you may have never ridden a camel. They were probably on camels. And when I went to click on these, there was car, train, walking. Camel was not one of the options. But I did walking. So it would take you 329 hours to walk from Nashville to New York. So if you were coming from Babylon or Persia, it would take you this long. And you imagine if they were going by camel back, it would take... A pretty long time, especially if one of the wise men, you know, drank a lot on the way, you know, so it would be slow, it would kind of like my trips anywhere with my children. It would take a long time to get there. But let's go to this question. So they came a long way, but how many were there? How many were there? How many wise men were there? How many magi were there? Does it say in the text how many there were? No. So I went to uh, a very learned theologian myself and asked him what he thought, and the theologian Abe Moses Scripture, which is also my eight-year-old son, I asked him, I said, hey, Abe, I was working on the sermon, I was like, hey, how many wise men there were? And he said, I want to say three, but there couldn't have been just three people who came to see the king of the world. And I joke and call him a scholar, but the dude, he, we have all three of our sons in one bedroom, and he has the top bunk, and he's got like six versions of the Bible in there. I'm not sure what he's doing there with them, but he's got them in there. Like He's got kids' Bibles, adult Bibles. He's doing something, so I'm proud of him, I think. But he said this, and you know what? I honestly think Abe is pretty accurate here. Because the only thing we know from the text is that there was more than one Magi of the plural word magi. We know there was more than one. The reason why we think there's three is because they gave three gifts, but it never says that. In fact, if this is true, and these magi were waiting on this king and they're coming and they're so excited about it, in fact, it says they were overjoyed when they saw the star, and that's a pretty treacherous trip. It probably was more, even if it was three wise men, it was probably an entourage of a lot of people that came across by Camelback. They probably took a huge entourage to protect themselves, to feed themselves on this long journey. So was there three? Maybe. Was there more than two? Is it all more than one? That's all that we know of how many there were. Most of what we know, like I said, is based on legends, from songs, from stories that are written. The other thing I want to ask is this. How did they know? So we know we saw the star, but how did they specifically know? How did these um, more than one wise men know that what was going on in this time. So I want, I want to give you an illustration. So there was a time in America when everybody would sit down and watch primetime TV before streaming ruined all that. We would Everybody would sit down at 7 o'clock primetime and watch the same shows to where we all had a combined vernacular. Oh, this is before my time. I'm very young. But we would have had this combined vernacular of something they watched and we could discuss all that and then streaming ruined all of that. Now you can watch anything you want to all the time and binge it and gorge yourself in entertainment at any time. And, you know, somebody asked me recently, they're like, you know, why didn't Jesus come now instead of then so more people would know? And I was like, I think it's the opposite. I think we would have missed him 100%. The Magi may have missed him because they were watching The Golden Bachelor and they were like, what? Star, I'm watching this. It's almost the finale. And we'd be too distracted. I'm not making fun of Golden or Maybe a little bit. but, But we're so distracted we may have missed Jesus. But here's the thing. There was no Netflix for the time of the Magi. What they did for their entertainment was stare at stars. They stared at stars. They stared at at the cosmos looking for something they were desiring that there was something coming they didn't know what it was so they would look to the stars and they had their singular focus so when it came they knew when the cosmos this is just so beautiful think about it for a second god interacted with the cosmos to interact with history to draw wise men from the east to the birth of a savior That God is interacting with humanity through cosmos in the supernatural way. So they were staring at the stars waiting for this. But not only that, they were learning men. They studied the scriptures. Not just just the scriptures of the Hebrews. They studied all scriptures because they knew they were looking for something abnormal that was coming. These were learning men. So they studied scriptures of all nations that they could get their hands on because they knew something was coming but they also had access to the hebrew scriptures and if you think about it if they were from babylon there was exiles there for a long time so they spent time with people like daniel who would have told them of a messiah coming and that would have piqued their interest maybe this is what we've been looking for all along so they were looking to the stars they were studying scripture they were remembering the legends of what the hebrews used to say of a coming king that he would be born in bethlehem so their eyes were fixed on something and they were studying the evidence and what happened was they saw the evidence they saw the star they knew what they had studied and they went where the evidence led them and when they saw that star they were overjoyed because this is what they had patiently been researching for looking for and longing for their whole life so the other question I want to ask is when did this story take place And you're like, what are you talking about, Jacob? I have my nativity scene, the Magi are right there. But is that when it took place? So think about this, this is what the text says. The text said they came to the house and found Jesus there, the child, with Mary. It doesn't say that they came to the manger. It says they came to a house. And in fact, if they saw the same star come up when Jesus was born, you saw how far away it was, a thousand miles. There's no way they could have got there in time for the birth by Camelback. It would have taken some time for them to get there. So more than likely, most scholars agree that the wise men came to them after they were out of the manger, they were in a house, and Jesus was probably anywhere between one and two years old. We know it has to be less than two because the reason they fled to Egypt is because Jesus was less than two because that was the cutoff for Herod his decree. So they fled later when he was still under two. So it was sometime between one and two, which means the magi came and visited toddler Jesus. And I say that because I, like I said, I have four kids, 10 and under. I've had lots of toddlers in my house. I currently have a toddler, a two-year-old daughter, and she's the sweetest, most beautiful thing in the entire world. Little May, I love her so much. However, if you handed her a bottle of frankincense, I'm pretty sure she would look at it and then dump it directly out. You hand her some gold, she probably put it in her mouth. So I just, I don't know what that means. I don't think Jesus did all things, Jesus never sinned, but just some context of remembering that this is toddler Jesus at this point, that the Magi are visiting toddler Jesus. So all that being said, answering all those questions, if you want your nativity scene to be more biblically accurate, this is what I need you to do. Go home, take the three wise men, put them on the other side of the house, and when people ask you, where are the wise men, you say, well, they're on their way. <laughs> and if you have a nativity scene outside, you take it and put them on the other side of the yard. They're on their way. And if you really want to be accurate, because it was probably a lot of them, by a bunch of wise men have a whole huge caravan of people coming towards your nativity scene. So that's a picture of the magi for a second. But I want to I pause and turn to another character I think is going to be really important for us. And that is King Herod. So they go to King Herod. And we always ask the question, why did they go to King Herod and not specifically to the house yet? Well, there's different beliefs about that. When you go to a star, is it giving you precise location at this point? They imagine that he would be in the the palace where the king currently is, where that's where the new king is. So they go to Herod. But the thing we, we know about Herod is this, is that Herod is actually currently the king of the Jews. He is currently the king of the Jews, but he's not the king of the Jews in the lineage of David. He's He's not even really fully Jewish. He's half Jewish, and he's been put there by the Romans, and he's ruling. And one scholar said of him that he was a really good king, but a bad man. And what he means by that is uh, he was a builder. Herod built more stuff for Israel and the king of Judea than most people had built. He built a lot of infrastructure, but he was also crazy and did a lot of crazy stuff. We read about one of them here in Matthew after this story, but also he had his wife killed. He had his brothers killed on his deathbed. He had them killed because he thought, I mean, not his brothers, his sons, because he thought they were trying to take the throne from him. He was a crazy guy, but they're interacting with him, and you see his response when the Magi come to him. He's the king of the Jews, and his response is fear, and he's disturbed from them. Being there. So, after we look at all these characters, we have to ask ourselves this question why does this matter to us? Outside of the biblical accuracy of our nativity scene, what does this matter to us in 2023 as we headed to 2024? And I want to show you this. I I think this is why it matters. First, I want to see you the Magi's response. Matthew 2 1 through 2, it says this. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and ask, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw the star and we have come to worship him. So think about this. So he's, they're coming to the current King of the Jews and ask him, hey, have you seen the new King of the Jews? I mean, imagine how you would respond, like new King, what are you talking about? Plus he would have known in the back of his mind that there has been story of a Messiah and they were like, is now? It'd be like somebody coming to my house and was like, hey, have you seen the person who runs this house? And I'm like, yeah, she's right there. Her name's Shanna. She I can run anything by her you need me to. No, it would, it would have been, it would have been wild for Herod. Herod wouldn't have known what to do with this information. But here's the thing: he asked, he was like, Where, where was the Messiah supposed to be born? He asked his people. What's wild is the thing about this. Herod, who knew about the Messiah, the religious people that he had in his court who knew about the Messiah are six miles away from where they are in Bethlehem and they have no idea. Yet the magi from the east are there to worship. So the first thing I I want you to see is this, is that, this picture of the Magi illustrate the long redemptive arch of scripture that stretches throughout history. Because there's so many prophecies, including the one in Micah 5, 2, that's pointing to Jesus being born in Bethlehem. So many pictures of this holistic picture of scripture. We can read just Matthew 2 and see the beauty of the birth of Jesus and the Magi. But when you see the holistic arc of scripture that God has always been pointing to this moment, we see a better picture of that we see a better picture think about this so Isaiah the book of Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born before the magi and look what Isaiah says it says then you will look and be radiant your heart will throb and swell with joy the wealth of the seas will be brought to you to come the riches of the nations will come look at this Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels, a median and a file, and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Isaiah was pointing to the Magi hundreds of years before the Magi were even born, showing us the beautiful arc of scripture that God has always been working and moving everything to this beautiful moment of the Magi. That's why understanding the whole redemptive picture of scripture is so important. That's why in 2024, our daily step is a year daily step. Read through the Bible the year at Christmas Eve. You'll be able to pick these up. And the reason why we're doing this is because, I mean, you may have heard me say this, that it doesn't matter if you read the whole Bible in a year. It just matters that you read the Bible the whole year. The most important thing is the habit of being in scripture. But it's also, I believe that every believer once in their life should read through the holistic picture of scripture. So we're gonna do that together as a church so we can see that arc of history. But the, the thing you also see in this is so we see the redemptive arc through the story, but we also see this. It illustrates the global expanse of the gospel. Because Matthew is a Hebrew writer writing to Hebrews but the, one of the first thing he shows the Hebrews is this. This gospel is bigger than us. One of the first people to come and worship at the feet of the Jesus are Gentiles, magi from the East. He's showing them that the gospel is bigger than just one nation. The gospel is all nations. He is the creator of all things. And that there's this global expanse that Jesus hadn't even spoke a word yet, yet the nations are coming and bowing at his feet. He hasn't even spoken a word. And I love this. This is so beautiful because in the Old Testament, we know of the exile of the Hebrews. But when Babylon and Persia, if the Magi came from there, when Babylon and Persia come to worship, the exile is officially over that this is the hinge point in biblical history where Jesus is now the king, that the exile is over. When it says the lion will lay down with the lamb, one of those could be the lion of the enemies of Israel coming to worship at the feet of the lamb. And let's look at the scripture again and see what they did. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were leaping with joy for seeing this. They came to the house. They saw the child with his mother. Notice it doesn't say baby, it says child. And they bowed down and what did they do? They worshiped him. They humbled themselves before Jesus. They fell at his feet. And honestly, this is our model as well. This should be how we respond to Jesus. Look, and they brought gifts. Look at the gifts they brought in, a, in 11. So then they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold, frankincense, essential oils, and myrrh. You, that was a joke. I slipped in there. So they... They gave these gifts, and I love that there's a beautiful illustration that says, you know, maybe the gold represents his deity, that they came and brought him gold because that represents who he was, that he was God, king of the universe, that the incense represented the fragrance of his life and ministry, and then the myrrh represented his sacrifice and death because myrrh was a oil, I mean, a, a substance used for embalming. So maybe it represents death and maybe it did. That is a beautiful picture. We don't know that for sure. But one thing we do know is at the very least, these gifts represented great wealth. They may not have been kings, but they were kingly. They came from kingdoms with great wealth and they came and laid that wealth down at the feet of Jesus. And what I love about this is that God is always working all details together for our good. And he's doing it even in this story, because what can a poor family do with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Well, in just a moment, they're going to have to flee to Egypt. And more than likely, they use those resources that these magi came to get them to Egypt. That God was using this as a picture of who he was, but also as a real street-level way to save them. But I want you to see this. You know, I joked about moving your magi. Honestly, you don't have to move your magi. You can leave them right there. Because this is what I want you to see is... When we depict a picture of the nativity scene, when we do it in our yard or we do it through paintings or wherever it is, it's okay that the magi are there. It's okay that they're in a manger. It's okay that there's donkeys there or whatever is there in your nativity scene because what it is it showing us is this. They're trying to give us in one image a picture that he is the king over all nature. That's why the animals are there. That he came for the common people. That's why the shepherds are there. That he came for those that are wealthy and kingly and learned. That's why the Magi are there. And that they're all worshiping at the feet of Jesus in one picture. So you don't have to move your Magi. Then look at Herod's response. Herod responds to this this way. He responds in fear. He responds in fear. And in that movie, Jesus of Nazareth, I love this. This is not what it says in the Bible, but gives us a picture of Herod's heart. He says this, this is my world. I will not share it with an infant. This is the depth of Herod's heart that he was willing to do whatever it takes to not give up being king of the Jews. And he responds in that way because his kingdom was in jeopardy. Which brings us to this. How does this directly apply to us in a street level? I think it's this. That the Magi were willing to do whatever it took to worship the new king. And Herod was willing to do whatever it took to stay king. That the Magi were willing to do whatever it took. With I mean, giving of themselves, going in this long way, sacrificing these, this wealth of whatever it took to worship at the feet of Jesus. And Herod was willing to do whatever it took to stay king and have power. And the honest truth for us here today is we are either one or the other. We're either the heart of King Herod or the heart of the Magi. Either we're struggling to stay on the throne of our own heart and pulling the strings and being in control, or we're willing to let go of it all and worship Jesus. So my question to you is, which one are you? Do you have the heart of Herod or the heart of the Magi? And my prayer is that God would use this moment through the Holy Spirit to bring us all to the path of the Magi. As you continue to look at this text, when you you see Herod thought it was going to cost him everything, his throne. But the truth is, the only thing it costs to follow Jesus is your old self and to become a new person, but the cost of not following him is everything. That's why Jesus says, count the cost. But God is always trying to draw us into this moment of that decision and bringing us to the feet of Jesus. and. I say it like this, that God has a deep galaxy at his disposal to draw us to Jesus. He has so many things in his arsenal that he could use to draw us to Jesus. He can use a star. He can take the cosmos and show us a star and bring magi from the east to to the feet of Jesus. He can bring us to Christ, it says, through scripture, through nature, because nature declares the glory of God. He has so many things in the deep galaxy that he can use, and sometimes he uses a star, and even sometimes he uses down to the street level and uses a friend. And put someone in our life that's like a star that points and draws us to Jesus. Maybe you're here today because somebody stepped into your life the way the star stepped into the Magi's life and God used them to bring you here. Maybe years ago or maybe even today you're here because a friend brought you in. Sometimes he uses a star and sometimes he uses a friend. But the thing I want you to see is this the religious people today would have thought those people are too far gone, they live too far, they're too far in their religion to ever come to Jesus. But what I want you to hear is this, that you are never too far for Jesus to reach you. You're never too far for Jesus to change you. And I know that for a fact because I'm standing here today. Because sometimes Jesus uses a star and sometimes he uses a friend and sometimes he uses a 1970s miniseries like Jesus of Nazareth. This is a VHS tab, if you didn't know what this is. I figured we broke out the hymnals today, might as well bring out a VHS. You know, they say the best way to listen to music is on a record. The best way to watch a movie is on VHS. But God used this movie to draw me to the feet of Jesus. I remember when I was a kid, I was at my grandmother's house and it was Easter, and I remember she had on this movie, which was Jesus of Nazareth, and they always show it at Easter time on TV, and I watched it and I was like, this feels so different than anything I've ever seen. It feels so out of this world. I was so drawn in by it. But I spent the most of my life as the throne on the throne of my own heart, as the king Jacob ruling and manipulating, doing everything until I got to my 20s when I was living so much in sin, living so much in darkness, but for some reason I was searching for something greater than myself. I was so lost and so empty and I wanted to search and I remember a movie that I saw at my grandmother's house. So I went and found Jesus of Nazareth and I would if I watched this one time, I watched it a 100 times. And I watched it over and over and over because it was, I was searching for purpose in the world. I was searching for something. And this is one of the tools God used to draw me in because I watched and I saw who Jesus was and I saw he had crystal blue eyes. Not really, but I was watching it. And they, it's pretty, it's pretty holds to the gospel. It takes some narrative liberties, but it, it drew me in. And what it drew me to do was go to scripture and say, hey, is this movie accurate? Let me see what scripture says about Jesus. So I went, God used the movie to draw me to scripture and scripture took me to Jesus. And Jesus allowed me to come to his feet and humbly give everything and worship him. And I've been doing it ever since, humbly trying to stay at his feet and worship. And I was searching for purpose during that time. And I was listening to a podcast recently, it was about happiness, but it had a purpose test in it, a two question purpose test. Let me show it to you. The first question is this, why am I here? Why am I here wrestling with what am I doing on this planet? And that's what I was searching for to, to find the answer of why I was here. And number two is this, what am I willing to give my life for? And when you read these two questions, there's either two answers. You either know what the answer is immediately or you spent most of your life looking for that answer. And when I was watching this movie, it was because I was looking for those answers. And Jesus came not just to be a king in a manger, or a king in a house, he came to rule, but also show us how to live. And when Jesus answered these questions, the first was this, why am I here? He frequently said, the reason I'm here is to do the will of my father. And the second is, what am I willing to give my life for? And the answer is for you and for me. So as we come and we seek to follow Jesus and worship at his feet, the answer should be for us is why am I here? To serve at the pleasure of the Father, the God who created me. And what am I willing to give my life for? Him and all of his people. That our heart should be that, that we're willing to respond the way Jesus did. Because this is true, that we have a greater picture than the magi, the shepherds, or even the prophets could even hope for. Jesus even said that people long to hear what you hear and see what you see that the prophets, what they prophesied, they would long to see the Messiah coming. We have the story greater than the Magi because we have the story of the Magi and everything that follows. We have church history. We have a greater picture. And the only thing, the only response that we can and should have is to humbly fall at the feet of Jesus and give the whole of our lives to worship. Because this, worship directs the adoration of our hearts and what we love changes us that it begins to change us. When we worship, it's not just a single event of singing. It is part of the process of God changing us through worship into his likeness. When we say, come, let us adore him, we're not just saying, let us sing to him. Let us adore him. Let all of our affections, all of our loves, all of who we are focused on this King of Kings. I love this quote from James K.A. Smith. It says, worship works from the top down. You might say in worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We are called to worship because we encounter God and he remakes and molds us because he's the one who made us, he's also remaking us, changing us into his likeness from the top down. Worship is the arena in which he recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires and rehabituates, means he changes our habits. Our habits change to be more like his, our practices, the way we live in the world becomes more like him through worship. He rehabituates our loves. Worship is not just something we do, it's where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. When we come back to this passage in Matthew 10, 2, 10, and 11, it says this, that when they came to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Hopefully from this story, we see this, that we would take the same path of the Magi, that no matter how far we are from Jesus, or how close, or wherever we are, that we would be willing to give all of who we are to sit down at the feet of Jesus and worship. And the way God may have used a friend in your life, or a star, or even a movie to draw you to him, that we would turn, be open for God to use us to draw others to the feet of Jesus. You know, as we come into worship, one of the most beautiful ways for us to worship One of the most beautiful ways to bow down and adore Jesus is to come to the Lord's table. You know, in the Bible, it says the word remember or a version of it over 500 times, one of the most used words in the whole Bible. So, why do you think it says remember so many times? And it's because of this because we so often forget that we so often are distracted, that we're so often pulled down different paths. And at Christmas time, where it should be the main focus of being Jesus and Him coming into the world and healing and saving us, instead we get focused on all the wrong things. So we come to the table this morning and the week leading up to Christmas so that we would remember. We remember what He did. That God didn't just tell us how to live. He came and showed us how to live and in fact gave his life for us. What he's doing now as we worship him, that he's changing our hearts, that he's healing our hearts, that he's redeeming us and making us into something new. And then what he promised to do, which is come back again. That one day we can truly sing joy to the world. The Lord has come because he has returned to redeem his people. So when we come to the table, we come to that trifold picture of who Jesus was is and what he's doing and on that night he he was with his disciples and he passed the bread around and he told them as you're doing this in remembrance of me this is my body broken for you and on the same night he passed the cup and said this is my blood spilled for you Father, we come to your feet. We come to your feet and worship. We love you. Let us live for you. Let us be sent by you to a world that desperately needs to know about you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you're subscribed and get notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.